Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 36. It's titled, How Wealthy Are You? What is wealth? It's something that I've alluded to in earlier episodes, but I've never really defined it. Oftentimes, we think of wealth as monetary wealth, but wealth is more than that. There are different types of wealth, and, and you know this goes back to books such as Your Money or Your Life, written by Joe Dominguez and Vicki Robbins, talked about this concept. Another book, Juliet Shore in True Wealth, had different definitions of wealth. But it was recently brought to my attention. I was listening to an interview that Tim Ferriss did with a man named Rolf, I think it's Rolf Potts, P-O-T-T-S, who wrote the book Vagabonding. And in that interview, they talked about monetary wealth. He talked about time wealth. We can, be, we can have a lot of time and be wealthy in terms of our, our freedom, which I've talked about in earlier episodes, such as episode five, The True Cost of a Thing. But there's also a third wealth, and I don't remember if this was mentioned in the interview or not, but it would be, and I'm going to use the term mobile wealth, the, you, the ability to work and live everywhere. Those are, those are the three types of wealth, and, and perhaps... There's more. Now, just like with any type of asset that you might have, be it time, mobility, or monetary wealth, it can change over time. Sometimes it's going up, sometimes it's going down. Ideally, there's not a lot of volatility there. But I found I had an experience the other day that got me thinking that maybe this time wealth that I thought I had wasn't as robust. I mentioned that a few weeks ago that I was in, flew back to Ohio for my aunt's funeral. To, to do that, I needed some monetary wealth. In this case, I actually had some frequent flyer miles and, and was somewhat surprised that there was a ticket available with two days notice on a su- Sunday after Thanksgiving. So I flew back. I had the mobile wealth in terms of I I was able to go, which was good, but I also had the time. I remember when my uncle, the spouse uh, of this aunt, had passed away. I wasn't able to attend the funeral. I believe, I probably, I think I had a client meeting somewhere that I just couldn't get out of, and and that was unfortunate. So in that case, I did not have the time wealth. So I got on the plane and and I have flown a lot of miles in my life. I've I've probably I know I've done at least a million and a half miles on Delta. I I figure maybe a half million on other carriers, so close to two million. So I'm I'm used to flying. I used to love to fly. I liked the fact that I wasn't ever interrupted. Right? I could just I I wrote a novel on a plane. I spent about three or four years writing fiction. Most of it on, or much of it on an airplane. And so I, I liked that I could call it tranquility, but kind of up in the sky, looking out the window. I'm a window guy. But on this flight, I found I was very, very restless and bored, really. I, I just, I wasn't, there was something, it was jittery. 
And, and I'm not a caffeine drinker, so it wasn't that. I don't smoke. It wasn't that. But there was something else. And as I reflected on it, I, I, let me ask you this question because I asked, I asked it to myself. When was the last time you were cut off from the connected world for more than 24 hours? So no email, no text, no internet, no newspaper, no radio or TV. In my case, it's been at least four years. My son and I, one of my sons took a backpacking trip into Yellowstone National Park and north of there along the Yellowstone River for three days about four years ago. And there was no cell phone coverage. And we were just just us and the bison and probably bears out there, although unfortunately we didn't see any. And we, we came out the other side of the trail and we'd been disconnected. And, and I have gone into Teton National Park for a week at a time, but it's been a while. And because it's so hard now to, to be completely disconnected. Earlier this year, I was in the Shan Khan biosphere in Quintana Roo, Mexico. And this is a dense jungle where jaguars are still roaming. The, the camp where I stayed, there was electricity generated mostly by solar power, so the, the lights were dim and they flickered, yet there was internet. Somehow, and I don't know how, maybe it was satellite, they had internet, so I could check my email and I could call home via Skype. So I realized on this plane trip that I had sort of not really wasted away, but allowed this connectivity, this constant input from email, from text, from Twitter, from Instagram, from all these inputs to sort of kind of take away some of my time wealth to where I, when I was disconnected from it, I, I, didn't, I felt jittery. And, and that was unfortunate. One of the interesting things in doing this show is, is I get email. And I asked one of my colleagues the other day, because I said, well, how many emails you get a day? Because what I found was every time I would answer an email from somebody within usually the same day, sometimes within a few hours, the, there was always this level of appreciation and, and almost amazement that I answered it so quickly, as if I had it was it was almost miraculous and and so it it i remember when i quit my job i was probably getting maybe 100 150 emails a day i don't get anywhere near that now but i got to think well maybe people are now getting 200 300 emails a day and are just just inundated and and in their case that can really eat in to your time wealth I mean, connectivity is wonderful, but it shouldn't, it can be highly addictive. The studies that they've done, I was reading a recent study the other day that dopamine, we we sometimes think of dopamine as kind of the pleasure, not not really pleasure drug, but it it stimulates the pleasure aspects of our brain. But what they have found recently is dopamine is actually stimulates our desire to seek, to seek the novel, to seek the new, to seek input. And so constant connectivity and feedback, actually, it, there's a dopamine effect there. Now, 
There's the ancient philosopher that I've mentioned in, in some of the earlier episodes named Zhuang Zhu. Sometimes he's known by the Zhuangzi, which was the book that he wrote, 4th century BC. He wrote about the struggles that some of his contemporaries were having about the torrid pace of, quote, modern life back then. Everyone thinks, every period, it seems like everything's speeding up. And here's the quote. We give, we receive, we act, we construct. All day long we apply our minds to struggles against one thing or another, struggles unadorned or struggles concealed, but in either case tightly packed one after another without gap. The small fears leave us nervous and depleted. The large fears leave us stunned and blank, worn away as if by autumn and winter. Such is our daily dwindling, drowning us in our own activities, unable to turn back, held fast as if bound by cords, we continue along the same ruts. Does that sound like modern life? He had a solution, though, and here was his solution to those of us that are drowning in our own activities. Quote, concentrate on the hollows of what is before you, and the empty chamber within you will generate its own brightness. Good fortune comes to roost in stillness. To lack this stillness is called scurrying around, even when sitting down. That's the problem I had on the airplane. My mind was scurrying around. The dopamine was seeking input, and I had lost the ability to just, as Ann Patchett talked about in a graduation speech that she gave, that is it's now a book called What Next, the ability to learn to just stare, to just be bored, and, and to have those gaps in our lives, to have those empty spaces, and the reality is because it's so hard to disconnect, we have to create that disconnectivity ourselves. Kevin Kelly, who's a founding executive director of Wire Magazine, renowned technologist, he mentioned in an interview, I believe Tim Ferriss also did with him, that he takes a digital Sabbath every Sunday along with his family. That means they just, they just put away technology and they, they, don't, they don't touch it for an entire day. And and I've heard of this concept before, and I, and there's been times that I have applied it. And the presumption is, we always think, well, we do that because connectivity is bad. This internet is bad. But you know, his point was, no, they take digital Sabbaths or breaks because it is so good. And they want to create that space both to give them time to reflect, but also to cultivate greater appreciation. Kelly has spent many years studying the Amish. He's lived with the Amish in upstate New York. He's not Amish himself, although he's got a beard that you you would almost think he was Amish looking. And, but he spent a lot of time studying their community, particularly how they decide on what technology to incorporate. Because Amish are known for, I don't think they do a whole lot of, mostly, at least the ones in Ohio that I was familiar with, drove horse and buggies, didn't use a ton of technology, but they're not necessarily anti-technology. They will use 
some new technology. So how do they decide what to use? Well, usually if somebody, according to Kelly, if somebody wants to try something out, they'll go to the elders and, and get permission to experiment. But the standard they use to whether they will use or adopt a new technology is whether it strengthens and builds fellowship or, or builds connect community, in other words, fosters that community within their, their organization. Or does it foster isolation and detachment? That's, that's an interesting idea. Is the technology building good qualities? In this case, they value community. Or is it bringing us negative qualities, isolation? And, and the only way to, to, to do that is to experiment with their own lives. And, and one way to, to experiment is to take breaks to stop using Facebook for a week and see see how you feel after that. It's important to have these, these spaces of time, these breaks. Matthew May in his book, In Pursuit of Excellence, Elegance, I'm sorry, In Pursuit of Elegance, wrote, in Zen view, emptiness is a symbol of inexhaustible spirit. Silent pauses in music and theater blank spaces and paintings, even the restrained motion of the sublimely seductive geisha in refined tea ceremonies, all take special significance because it is in the state of temporary inactivity or quietude that Zen artists see the very essence of creative energy. It's in the, in the spaces. And it's important to remember that. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies, It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. I have a friend that I've known for a number of years who lives in Alabama. He lives in a high-security prison. He has a sentence of life without parole. He has been there 25 years, I believe. And he got caught in the early 80s in uh, something that was called Three Strikes and You're Out in the United States. And 
which meant if you committed three felonies, you were put in prison for life without parole. He had a couple of drug violations, and he had participated. He was the driver in, he was the, what do they call that, escape car driver in an armed robbery and was put in prison for life. He, it's been really interesting as I have corresponded with him because my, my eyes, my understanding of what goes on in prison has been, well, they've been open, really, in, in terms of, let me give you a, an example of what Michael's life is like. Right now they, they live, he lives in a dorm setting, so he doesn't even really have his own room. He's just a group of, my sense is maybe 30 to 40 guys in the same dorm. They're given three meals a day, but they serve breakfast at 3.30 in the morning. And so a lot of the guys in prison don't even bother eating breakfast. And so there's this constant level of hunger. I mean, they, they get, they're given enough food to sustain life, but it certainly isn't. You know, one of the things that they look forward to on the 4th of July is just the one time each year that they are given some ice cream. Some of the things Michael likes to do is he loves to play Scrabble, and so he spends a lot of time playing Scrabble. He recently got the, I sent him the most recent Scrabble dictionary. Apparently there's a new one came out, and just studied it for all, all the new words. Loves college football, but uh, there is a television in the dorm, but it's so noisy that the only way you can listen to the, the television is apparently the TV sends out a, some type of radio frequency so you can pick it up on the radio. He loves to take the classes that they offer, but they offer very, very few classes. So I think he's taken the memory class about three times. There is a legal class that's sometimes offered, but there isn't very much to do. They don't allow him to work or do any type of service in the prison because there's a fear that prisoners that have life without parole have nothing to live for. So they're at risk of harming other people. So they don't allow them to, to associate at all. Really, it's a very, very controlled setting to associate with anyone that's not in the prison or that's not a, another prisoner. And a few years ago, he got a new roommate, prison cell, and this was a younger guy. And when you're in prison, you don't like young people coming because they're unpredictable. You, you want the predictability of those that you have been in prison with for years. And this particular guy was just acting weird. He would sleep during the day, and he was up at night. And, and Michael couldn't, or my friend couldn't figure out what, what was going on with this guy. And, and then one time he woke up in the night, and he saw that his, this cellmate was reaching up into the light fixture taking it out above to pull out a cell phone. He, cell phones are illegal in this prison, although surprisingly many inmates have smartphones, even though they're illegal. But this was three or four years ago, so it was much less common. And, and so he was talking on the phone, and, which was fine, except then a few days later the prison guards came and, and busted this guy or and tried to get Michael to confess that he knew about it or 
I'm not sure the exact circumstances, but somehow they had got my friend. He was in a position where in prison you do not ever tell on someone or narc on them, ever. And, and he wasn't going to do it. And he didn't, yet they punished him, Michael, by putting him in solitary confinement for an entire year where he was by himself. The only way he could communicate is the, they would deliver the food tray. They weren't even allowed to go out and eat. They would deliver food trays one by one, and the guy that would deliver the food trays would allow them to pass notes from one prisoner to the next within the cell block of those in solitary confinement. Michael does not have monetary wealth at all. He does not have mobile wealth. He has ample time wealth. Days after days after days. and But those days are spent often hungry. About twice to two, I think two times a year, they're allowed to order a food package. And, and I have sat here, and he has sent me the order form, and I've, I've put it in one by one. And it's mostly, it's food you can't cook, right? Because it has to be prepackaged. It's expensive. But he's talked about, and there's a limit, right? There's a $150 limit. And so it's like Christmas trying to figure out, all right, which food choice of prepackaged junk food should he choose to to basically he's not so hungry all the time. That has been eye-opening to me in terms of complete time wealth but not having monetary or mobile wealth. What we really want in our life is all three. And, and I had a discussion or an email exchange with some, a member of the Money for the Rest of Us hub. And he's, he's done well in his business, has, has high income, and and my my point that I wanted to make to him because he was trying to figure out whether he should invest more in in the stock market or more in investing in other business, and and so we kind of we had this discussion. But one of the the overriding points that I thought was important is that what we want when we have a high income and we're starting to accumulate monetary wealth, ultimately the the role of monetary wealth is to have sufficient so that we can also have time wealth and, and mobile wealth or mobility wealth, the ability to go anywhere or work anywhere we want, the ability to choose what we want to do with our time. We want to have all three, kind of a, a, a trifecta. So as we come to the end of the year, think about that. How wealthy are you? How balanced is your wealth, your Monetary wealth versus your time wealth versus your mobile wealth. One way to, to keep that balance, and there isn't a, a set level of monetary wealth. Recall the quote by E.F. Schumacher in the book Small is Beautiful. We need to maximize our well-being with the minimum of consumption. If we can learn to live on less monetary wealth so that it, it frees up time and mobility, then we need to, need to do that. And everyone's got to find that right balance. What we don't want to do is what Thoreau said. Here's a quote. This spending 
of the best part of one's life earning money in order to enjoy a questionable liberty during the least valuable part of it reminds me of the Englishman who went to India to make a fortune first in order that he might return to England and live the life of a poet. He should have gone up garret at once. Garret is the English term for attic. So don't spend all your life trying to earn enough money to become a poet. Be a poet now and learn to live on less. Final quote by Thoreau to end this show. He says, this is from his journal, April 24th, 1859. There is a season for everything, and we do not notice a given phenomena except at that season, if indeed it can be called the same phenomena at any other season. There is a time to watch the ripples on Ripple Lake, to look for arrowheads, to study the rocks and lichens, a time to walk on sandy deserts. And the observer of nature must improve these seasons as much as the farmer his. So boys fly kites and play ball or hockey at a particular time all over the state. Um, A wise man will know what game to play today and play it. We must not be governed by rigid rules as by the almanac, but let the season rule us. The moods and thoughts of man are revolving just as steadily and incessantly as nature's. Nothing must be postponed. Take time by the forelock, now or never. You must live in the present. Launch yourself on every wave. Find your eternity in each moment. We need to find and create spaces in our lives, spaces to stare, spaces to reflect, spaces when we're not connected, because that's where we'll find our creative energy. So that's the show for today. I wanted to make a brief mention. Alan wrote me, he he looked at some of the information on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub and, and said, who should target market? And, you know, when you launch something like that, I don't know, because I'm just launching it and, and trying to see what people want. Well, as more people have joined, it's become clear that to some extent, the target market are individuals who are at that point in their life, and many are between 30 and 50, who are finally getting some monetary wealth and and aren't looking for hot stock tips. They want to grow it and preserve it so that they can have more time wealth and more mobile wealth. And and the best way I know to grow and preserve wealth is to, as we talked about last week, is to get out of way out of the way when market conditions are are poor. And so a recent change I've made to the hub is to be even more specific in terms of investment recommendations and market conditions. Is now a a great time, a great time, an appropriate time to have higher exposure to risky assets such as stocks and the stock market and be more specific in those recommendations. And it's something I'm doing on the hub as long, along with the video courses the bite-sized audio lessons, and the plus episodes, which is really a casual dinner conversation that expands on the weekly episode of Money for the Rest of Us. You can get information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Show notes for this episode of Money for the Rest of Us can be found at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where you can sign up for my insider's guide and get those show notes emailed to you weekly, as well as other 
information that I'm sharing to that insider's guide, including answering listeners' questions. Everything I've shared with you in today's show is for general education only. I've not considered your specific specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply education on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. Have a great week. And for those listening during the holiday season, tomorrow is Christmas Eve here. So have a enjoyable Christmas and New Year's season.